Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a bonus episode of the show uh, where we do a lot of questions and answerings for you fine people that listen to There Will Be Dungeons. And we do this for our Dungeons Plus members, as you know, because that's who you are. If you're new to this, thanks so much for signing up. And if you're old school, thanks for being here as long as you've been here. It's awesome to have you here. Let's get right to it. Uh, Kristen compiled a bunch of questions for us this month and uh we're actually doing two of these this month so you'll get one today and then next week it'll make up for the lack of one in december uh we're happy to do that so enjoy these two extra half hour each chunks of content on us all right Kristen, you have the list let's ask these questions all right first question was there any planning ahead of time of who was playing what classes uh like in our current thing like in the new seasons with Kyle DMing? Yes. No. Uh, yeah, I mean, not we, really. I mean, we talked about it. We knew what everybody would be playing roughly, but I don't think we, I think we all pretty much just decided to go do whatever we wanted. Yeah. I think maybe there was, there's always this conversation of who, you know, do we have a couple of key things here? And maybe it's the, it's the tabletop in a lot of us, but it's also the video gamer in some of us where we're sort of like, do we have the Trinity taken care of? Do we have somebody healing, somebody tanking, somebody DPSing sort of? Um, so that always comes into it a little bit, but for the most part, it was just like, I've never played a cleric and I want to play one. And everyone's like, cool, do that. And John was like, I'm going to be a rogue, which seems crazy that he's hasn't been a rogue up until now in D and D with us. Cause John is, he was born a rogue. You yeah, came, you came out of your mother with two knives is what I'm saying. I came out of oh, my wow. mother peeing on the doctor, which is also a very that's good amazing. Thing that's great. That's really good. Mm-hmm. That's a stealth move anyway. Um, and then <laughs> surprise attack. <laughs> the only one I didn't know, I feel like from the conversations we were having, is where Kristen would end up. But I knew you'd probably end up tanky, and it was just a matter of what. And so it turned out to be paladin. But I don't think we, like you. We could have all come to the table and just said, uh, "Hey, it's three wizards. That's how it's going to be." You know, we could play something like that. It'd be weird because class diversity helps. But, you know, there's no rules. We don't have to. We don't have to do any of that, like law or anything. Yeah. Cool, too. Everyone having fun. Yeah. Like do a three wizard campaign and just see how people take the same class down different paths to kind of fulfill the roles they're interested in. Yeah. It'd be a fun experiment. I agree. Something like that could be fun, but from a DM perspective, Kyle, would it, does that class diversity matter to you? Um, 
you know, when, when you're when you're building out these these scenarios, is it is it more is it important that you've got lots of class diversity to deal with and not just a lot of sameness? It helps a lot, particularly the heels being on two different characters with such a small group. I love the number three for the players because it's always very efficient. Two people decide to one do one thing. Someone disagrees. Well, they lost. And now we get moving immediately, which is really, really nice. And when there's heels on more than one character, that means one can go down, one can bounce the other. And you can end up in these kind of snowball situations like we even had today where things can get really scary. But there's never a true danger of a full party wife or someone just being isolated out and ending it. So I'm really happy we have that diversity across both the paladin who has a couple of spells and certainly that hit point pool with the lay on hands and then the cleric who does have and particularly later these huge bombastic heels so i can throw really challenge equivalent things at you guys like today we fought a poltergeist which was challenge rating two which is for second level of swords but it's not a perfect system the challenge rating is more about how like uh, how much XP that monster is worth. Like there is a skeletal minotaur who is an undead who would, you know, be cool in a graveyard, but he hits for 17 damage and I can do a charge with that to do 26 damage a hit. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Which oh. if I hit you into the negative at your health value or 10, you're dead, dead, dead. So it's not a perfect system and it's very much a, uh, exploratory that's the reason why like the sturges uh in the last one it's like oh what's what's gonna happen there some players actually start or some dms uh start with spiders because spiders deal poison damage that doesn't kill you so like frodo you get stabbed by a spider but you're down but you don't start rolling death saving throws and that's a great way to experiment with a group oh interesting I mean, is that what you just described sounds like the reason that rats in a in a sewer are often the beginnings of most <laughs> like RPGs and video games, the first thing you're going to go do is go kill a bunch of dumb rats. That's exactly. Good. Yeah. And the main danger there of killing your players is that you're dividing up the targets. Right. So it's a it's a very fun strategy game uh, for me. I enjoy it immensely. And I let the classes kind of decide the course of the adventure. So this is going to be a lot more divine based because we suddenly had two divine classes. Or if we had none, there, there probably wouldn't be a world with gods. Yeah. There you oh. uh, Splendor Belt is that character based on Colossus from the Deadpool movie, movie <laughs> version? No, but I love that. I love that they uh, made the comparison because now I, I can kind of see it. Um, that wasn't my intent. My intent was just to make I, I wanted to be I wanted it to be different for sure. And I knew I was coming into it without any special like accent skills whatsoever. So it was really going to be me doing a really surface level Eastern European, Bolivian or Bulgarian, uh, you know, maybe Russian accent just kind of somewhere in there. Um, but the comparison is not a bad one like that. That version of, of Colossus and Deadpool is is pretty close to what I ended up doing. But the main thing was just I wanted to have somebody who was a little bit obtuse when it comes to. Um, well, I, honestly, some of the, the inspiration was Varel in our previous campaign. Uh I like when Varel comes into a situation and doesn't really read the room very well. Um, it doesn't mean he's not intelligent or doesn't have, um, you know, maybe his perception's a little off in terms of other, you know, relationships and stuff. But I always liked that. I like that 
because I think it adds to story. It creates moments that are different than just a bunch of party members agreeing with each other all the time. And so that was the aim there characterization wise. And then the accent for me just fit. And, um, you know, he's mostly just a guy without, uh, conjunctions. Like he just, you know, if he's, if you're going to talk about a bucket of fish, he will call it a fish bucket. Like he's not going to put ofs and us and the ands and thes in there. And to me, that makes him just kind of a, a smart doofus, if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, it's a good comparison though. Definitely not based on Colossus, but I like the comparison. Yeah. And then furthering the lore of Splendor Belt is the Russian accent adjacent to the mother or father. Oh, geez. <laughs> you got to figure these things out, man. Yeah. Backstory time. time. Um, I'm going to say mother, even though I'm just now deciding that, um, and I like that because I like the idea uh, from a backstory perspective that he was raised by a a kind-hearted, pragmatic woman while his uh, overly excited for war husband uh, and his father would, would be gone a lot and be off to war and come home and no great relationship with the son, really raised by his mother and perhaps the reason why he chose to uh you know you know pay Lauren pay Lauren that home was was a thing why he chose the the career path he chose probably based more on his mother um I don't know who I'm basing her on but I like the idea that she's got some sort of babushka sort of accent (laughs) and is making him like potato balls all the time and junk like that he loves potatoes for a reason he was raised on them and potatoes are a staple in that part of the world. So I, I really made half works into Russian people. And I don't know why I did that. <laughs> we love it. It's good. It's great, man. <laughs> Wait, so, so is this true? If I were to do a half work encampment, they would all be Russian. Um, there would be, uh, there'd be a mix. There'd be, uh, a faction of them who have that dialect or have that accent based on some eth- uh, ethnicity, but the, there's also another part of that group. Think of it as like Canada, the French speaking versus the just regular old sounds like us Canadians. And it causes conflict. There's some, you know, people bump heads for whatever reason, there's cultural issues there. It's a lot like that. They all kind of look alike, but there is a, there's definitely a, a, a different origin for some of these people and they don't necessarily jive with the others very well. That's some good backstory. Yeah. Uh, John, is there a time where we may see a temporary return of the inverse campaign as a mini arc, for example? It's possible. Uh, the problem is, is I realized when I started the inverse campaign that I was putting ideas that I had for a big, giant, full, you know, with my friends, you know, week to week, month to month campaign into what was essentially one shots. Um, and it, it was a little bigger than it needed to be. Um, so I currently have an idea to close the inverse campaign so that we can, you know, say, Hey, we did it. We told the story and it's done and we're moving on. Uh, unfortunately, um, that arc that I have planned relies very heavily on Bo's character, Baffo. Um, and so it's just worked out when it was time for, me to dm um it was either he wasn't there or you know usually if i'm taking over 
um, so it's because someone isn't available. Um, and I would want, because everybody participated in that arc, I would want them all to have some level of say in how it closes. Um, but Baffo in particular would be somewhat key to how that ends. So uh, I definitely have an idea and would love to do it um, and have an idea of how that story will end. But uh, it just needs to be the right time for it. And I would want everybody together for it. I predict the one day a, a foe will once again face Garpoon. I do like Garpoon a lot. Well, I miss no matter him. what happens, it should open with a portal and Garpoon falling through it so he can just pop up wherever. He, <laughs> he can just be wherever? Okay. <laughs> I like that. That's the thing I always think about, though. Like These little one-off characters that sometimes happen in these in these smaller campaigns, sometimes you get really hooked on them and I don't know what to do with them after. Like, Can they go on? Like, If they exist in the same world... Um, like Hack Loman does, uh, is the same world as as Nash Magard. There's a possibility that those those worlds could cross, and that character could see a new life or whatever. And that may be true of the campaign we're running now compared to stuff we do in the future. But it's always an issue, right? Like if you really create a character you love and just you know don't want to see go away, it would be great if Gar- Garpoon had life somewhere else for me because I really like him. But I don't know what it would be outside of John's campaign. Um, but I guess we, we run could the- have a DC style arena of champions where <laughs> some interdimensional bad guy summons Superman and Batman and they all have to duel for a time. I oh, like well, it. S- well, speaking of, we do have a question here for all of us. If all of the characters from the wastes inverse the new story and John's waste one shot were the same level and were thrown into a last man standing pit and would actually fight everyone else to the death, no alliances. <laughs> Who would emerge victorious? Oh, man. I'm going with Squirts on that one. Uh, or God Squirts, Squirts is pretty tough. I mean, I could be super nerdy and just be like, Nash has the most OP ability <laughs> of any of the characters. It would definitely be Nash Magar. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. I think all things being equal... Varel would go pretty long. Varel would do great. I'm my personal yeah. pick is Varel, unless whoever's running that story lets Nash be Voltron Nash, because with all the Nashes, the time barf Nashes, <laughs> if I get to have like eight Nashes all into one giant Nash, game's over. I'm I'm ready I, to t- take that I title. I still go for Squirts though, because <laughs> yeah. Like all those Nashes would be battling Varel or whoever, and then Last Man Standing looks over at the trash pile and out pops Squirts with some divine blast of hell. Yeah, just pops out of the pile at the end. Squirts was for. I mean, yeah, I think Varel's a good choice too. I think the only, I think honestly, the biggest foil for Varel would be Stanley because Varel is very weak to mind stuff, mm. and so much of Stanley is mind oh, there stuff. There you go. Yeah. He'd be, he'd be charmed or, you know, going and doing other things for the entire fight. I don't think Stanley could take him in a fight. So, yeah, I don't know. Squirts. We all agree. Squirts. Yeah. Squirts, squirts. Squirts for the win. Squirts for president. We we did it. Yes. All right. If Hope <laughs> now could get a hold of a method to do so, would she still try and achieve her episode zero goal of going back in time and preventing the scorching? The answer is yes. Hope basically has nothing left on earth. Maybe what, like 10 tieflings? Like she's gone through some serious mental stuff. So she would totally go back. Yeah. I'd like to think that, um, 
we get back around to uh, to that story that there's there's a path to that for her. I mean, I don't know what it looks like, and I don't know what it means for the rest of us, but she's she's things are pretty devastated for her, and so that plucky early mechanic girl who couldn't wait to get us all in the Fate Four and get across the desert, you know, has seen some shit. <laughs> That's the nature of that campaign, though, right? Mm-hmm. The wastes were not a happy place. Nope. Uh, Kyle, the thing that Co saw in the hole to the Underdark, was there a scenario with a less good stealth roll where the party would have to fight it? It would have been tough. So that was a Grick, which is listed in their guide as a deadly of the top tier that Delvers are supposed to face. The reason why it could have happened was because it does lots of smaller hits that would not accumulate up to an instant kill. But it's very uh, grabby. <laughs> it, it wants it. It wants to you know drag you off. So if it had gotten a hold of say Ko and John's character, there would have been a time where he would have been alive. He would have been getting, you know, dragged off or at least unconscious, but still alive. And it would have been up to Kristen and Scott to at least break the hold. Since you're in its home, it's in its lair kind of thing. It wants to live and it would have been scared off by damage. Sure. I could see that. Oh, yeah. Speaking of, uh, we got an email um, wishing Bo well. Uh, Please let him know all of us are going to miss him and his amazing campaign. And then the question, what the heck is that borrowing monster? I've tried several times to figure it out, but I keep drawing a blank. So a Grick, you said? Yes. Yeah. So it is a Grick. It's an underdark monster, basically a beaked snake with a tentacle ring around its face. Uh, It was brought up later by Cassius when Ko went back to the guild and was talking uh, to the guild master there about what he saw. Oh, yeah, this thing's gnarly. Look at that. It's a pretty classic D&D monster, uh, very much up there with the Grell and uh, the Dark Mantle y'all fought and the, well, the Piercer <laughs> is the is the slug that jumped from the ceiling. Mm-hmm. And that's not so much a classic, but does become, that's the that's the larval stage of a monster that's very well known in D&D. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. This uh, Grick Alpha version of it is literally like this. Why this always when you can tell it's an old school D and D thing because you can just see those guys sitting around going, "All right, you guys, what if we had a snake, and then a chicken beak, and then an octopus? What do you think?" And then we'll call it a Grick. Like that's just how they did stuff back then. And this thing's this thing's great. I love it. That stupid thing with his freaking. I mean, honestly, it makes no biological sense how any of this worked out. Like, there's no uh, natural selection going on here, but who cares? It's D&D. Exactly. It's under dark. We're getting real weird at that point. Oh, yeah. All right. Uh, first uh, question here. Firstly, I wonder why did you decide to use XP instead of going with milestones? Honestly, because it's a surprise for me. And I like surprises. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the same reason why I run the crit system I do. I do have a plan for these 12 episodes. I know where it's going and what the overall theme is going to be and how we're going to wrap it up. But my player's power changes how I design the dungeon and the particular monsters week to week. And I need that to stay involved. Not like it'd be the worst thing on Earth. This is a show production. 
but I really, really love it when I'm like, oh, damn. And then I check their cheats that night. I'm like, whoa, they picked uh, all these crazy spells I wasn't expecting. Like Kristen got this week uh, compelled duel. And that's such a cool ability. And I had to read about it and figure out what would happen in my boss fights if anyone was immune. Uh, Scott went and picked up things like Sanctuary. That's really interesting. That sort of surprises DM is how I get to play. I like that. I've never, I mean, this is interesting because the question has never entered my head where I'm like, all right, where is the DM having fun? Like, I know DMs are having fun, right? I, I just know it inherently in my heart that they're having fun. But where where specifically are they? Because I can answer where I'm having fun and all the other players are probably can look at exact things where they're having fun. That's that's an interesting thing to hear from a DM perspective. Like the fun is in messing with these systems and, you know, building your campaign around those systems and then seeing them execute is is an interesting perspective that I don't I don't know if too many players who have never DM really think about it. Well, and it, it's game design at the end of the day, and that's very enjoyable. But when it suddenly becomes a script, now it's a job that you're just pacing the players through to get to the next point that you've set up because you've already planned that far and then you've already planned that far. So it's a it's a blinder for me that keeps me from thinking too far out. And then I get to be surprised when you guys do something cool or have some idea in mind. That's cool. All right, next question. Secondly, the characters are at first level. Was there any thought given to starting them off at third level since that is when most classes get their archetype? And I know it was brought up early on, whether we wanted to start at three or one. Yes, it's definitely a little dull, uh, but works really well with the world I created with the Dungeon Guild, so I appreciate us starting low. The, The option was handed out, and we all agreed that we wanted to go from one. Yeah, I know I appreciate starting at one because it's a lot easier to grasp the character I'm playing because I might not know where I want to go at three, but by three, I have a much firmer handle on where that character would naturally progress. Yeah, it feels like it's it's kind of the same for me. It seems like the prerogative of whoever's DMing. So if you've got a thing that you're doing a one-off and you need everyone at level eight, well, then you just do it because that's what you need. Um, unlike a video game where you're, you know, you feel like you're skipping content or something. Um, in this case, you're not really skipping content so much as you are skipping knowledge of how to do more with less earlier in a campaign, I guess, at lower levels or whatever. But I don't know, Kyle, like after this 12 episode run, would you ever consider like, uh, you know, saying, well, we need to start at four or three or, you know, whatever. For sure. And I think we're experienced enough as players in a group to pull that off if we wanted to. I do appreciate getting that level one experience because you guys are so fragile that I get to slowly build. And basically your hit points double at level two so we can experiment again. And then by the time we hit three, I can say, okay, Co can handle this kind of hit. I know this. I know a general sense of what Scott's going to roll on Splendor Belt's constitution. I can throw this in now. So it's just very dangerous because the challenge rating system is based on the XP, not what the challenge rating actually is of the monster. You have to do that, those slow steps. Like uh, like today. Uh, today we had the, the Shadow by the Tree, which was an experiment not only for you guys to learn how the monster worked and how vulnerabilities work, but also a chance for me to go at you swinging with a plus five and see if that hit anybody. 
Uh, last question. Uh, since you've already decided to do initiative differently by having Kyle roll it, would you maybe try out a different version of initiative, like popcorn or something like it? And then there's a link to this popcorn initiative. Yeah, what popcorn. is that? I've never heard of that until I saw this. Uh, popcorn the- initiative, how it works. At the start of each combat, each PC, NPC monster, or group of monsters rolls initiative. Highest roll goes first. After the high roller has finished their turn, they decide who goes next. That creature or group of creatures takes their respective turns and then nominates who goes next. Thus, each and every PC and PC monster group gets a turn. Uh, once everyone has gone, the last person who goes gets to decide who starts the next round. And the last person can choose themselves. Weird. Huh. I see how that would be interactive and you could pull off some cool combos. Hmm. It's like the opposite of XCOM. It's like uh, in XCOM, you have a you have a turn order, or no? What am I thinking of? Where you have a turn order? Um, anyway, it's like a turn based game where you have a turn order and there's nothing you can do about it. It's just the turn order. And then, oh, I know what that's like uh, the Larian game. Um, uh, freaking Divinity Original Sin Two has a turn order and it's creatures and you and whatever, and the initiative plays a role, but you can't change it. What they're proposing here, the popcorn method sounds like uh, just that. Like, well, what if you wanted to move a different dude first? And we, and yeah, then we a decide. lot like the start of the XCOM missions where everyone's available so you can choose who's going to go. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. Huh. I've never, I've never heard that applied to this before. That's crazy to me. But whatever. I mean, the I mean, main reason I'm rolling it all is just for speed for the audio show because we're going through like three combats an episode, which cutting down on any sort of time in other areas is going to save up and help us hit all those points. I would love a more automated system right now. The D and D encounter runner on D and D beyond is a little stiff. I would love a system where I could say, okay, round one hit me. D&D Beyond, and it goes, blah, blah, blah. here's all the orders. And then I go, cool, round two, hit me, and then it rolls again. And we are now in a completely different initiative order. Mm-hmm. But John, with the best initiative, would always have the highest chance to always be first. That's interesting. I, re- I like how you're doing it now. I just, I'll be honest, I wasn't quite sure how you were doing it. But it was nice, because it was it was no longer dependent on my crappy role. <laughs> And, no, it's depending on my crappy <laughs> Right, right. I don't know why that changes it for me or made me feel better, but it did. So <laughs> to, what, to whatever end that, that is good or bad, I like how Kyle does it. Because um, my, my I t- I, well, whatever is Nash, I always ro- just rolled terribly in initiative rolls. And I didn't have any good modifiers, which is a huge part of it. Um, but I just always rolled poor, poorly. It was always like a five or a six or an eight, just low rolls. And um I kind of hated it because I felt like that was just my curse. And um, I don't know, like today I have a negative one modifier to my initiative, but still one your role through your system. So I'll take it is what I'm saying. I'll take it. <laughs> all right. That's all of them, right? That's today. That's this week. Uh, for the most part, there's one here we can answer really fast. Yeah, let's do one more. Uh, Loving it. One question. Is there anywhere I can see your characters and stats? I think the discord would be the best place for that. Yeah. Is there a way I know you can link your sheet out for people to see it and of course share a PDF around or whatever. 
it would be really cool if by campaign there was a way to just sort of what view what everybody's up to. Maybe there is on D&D Beyond. We'll have to fiddle with that. Yeah, I can invite you all to be campaigns, but if I showed other people that link, they would be able to make characters in the campaign. There's no way, sadly, for me to be like, here's the campaign on D&D Beyond. Enjoy it. Also, you can read my notes and the encounters I've done and all that. That'd be awesome. Well, I know there's an API because that's how they do the um, the Twitch integration. And so I, it may just be finding the somebody who's taken that API and created a... Uh, a campaign viewer that's external to the site. Um, we will, we'll do some looking cause that would be, that'd be awesome. Just more of a, a quick glance at whatever they wanted to see uh, in that way would be cool. And I know the API supports it because that Twitch widget is literally that. Um, but that, but for that to be worth it for anyone to use, they'd have to come to the live stream and see it. So for listeners who are trying to see it out, side of that, then there, you know, there's gotta be another way. Somebody somewhere has probably done this and if they haven't, they probably could. But in the meantime, we can definitely put stuff in in the Discord. And if you're thinking, wait a minute, Discord, what? It's uh, on the site. If you go to therewillbedungeons.com, there's a link that says the TWBD Discord and, and you're in. Uh, you don't have to do anything special. I'll just take you right in there. Yeah, and um, if you don't see the links, the chat continues, right? Because lots of conversations happen. Feel free to ask in the Discord and we can link our sheets again. Oh, for sure. Yeah, we can probably pin it in there and some other stuff. But now, now I'm now the more I think about it, the more I'm can. There's just got to be something since that API exists. That means someone can program it and pull that data and make a cool little landing page for a campaign. Uh, just a matter of putting the campaign ID in there. So we just have to find that. So yeah, we'll do a little work on that between now and then. And if anyone's listening to this, going, "Oh, I know exactly what that is," send that in because we'd love to. We'd love to make this stuff more interactive anyway. In general. Um, I think that's it for this week. Hey, did I mention I might have at the top of the show, we are going to do another one of these this month because we missed uh, December. So we're going to make one more. That'll happen next week, uh, right after our regular episode. So you guys are really getting doubled up this time. Uh, so uh, we hope you enjoy that uh, and and enjoy the additional uh, content because that's what we're all about for you who support us. Thanks for your support. Tell your friends. Uh, make it even better because the more you do it the more cool stuff we can make that's going to do it for us for me for john for kyle for Kristen. we'll see you next time